testing, testing. No, I say, you know, testing, testing. Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read from 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 7. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And from Luke nineteen thirty-eight, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Word of God for the, the word people. of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keely. You know, Keely's going up to do children's church blessings and prayers for her. <laughs> They're already up there. Hallelujah. So two texts today, one out of Samuel from our reading this last week as we continue to read the Bible together as a church. We're reading through uh, Samuel, finished 1 Samuel, started 2 Samuel. So as you read these stories and talk about them, um, it helps us in, in, as, as, as we come together and we preach as we're reading the Bible and studying it together. This text from 1 Samuel 16 is about a king. And we know on Palm Sunday it's about a king. So we're going to look at this theme of this being a king. We know that last week we looked at Ruth and she ends up meeting Boaz and getting married and having a son named Obed. And Obed and, and them and the whole story takes place in Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? It's this geographical thing. Not only that there will be a, a, a king that rises from Judah, but that there also uh, there's this geographical location be that Judah is in this area of an old city that was originally called Ephrath. 
And now it's called Bethlehem, so that's why it's Bethlehem of Ephrathah. They're still combining that, that old name of the city. And this is where the family of Ruth and, and Boaz have settled. And now there's um, their son, uh, Obed, has now had Jesse. And our text today is about Jesse. But I want us to look at this theme of a king. And as you see, that's a different kind of king. You see that from our text today that, that the Lord sees not as man sees. Even Samuel, he's a great prophet of God, but when he sees Eliab, he looks like Saul. He's tall, dark, and handsome. You know, and he thinks this is a guy people will follow. He'll be a king and, and uh, looks like a king. And, 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 and the Lord corrects Samuel right away and says, you know, I don't see that way. I don't see the way men see. Men look on the outward Appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we're looking at a different kind of king, maybe not the type of king that we would look at and see like, yes, but a different kind of king. And that's who uh, Samuel anoints that day after he goes through all the brothers. He ends up anointing this man, David, to be king. And it's the, the king of God's choosing. He's a different kind of king. And there'll be some parallels between, Jesus, between David, an anointing of king, and this king that rides in on this donkey, on this Palm Sunday. And let's look at that together. So, first of all, the location. Uh, from our first verse, 1 Samuel 16, 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. That's what they're known now. Last week we looked at them, they were called Ephrathites. So, from Ephrath, Ephrathites. And so now it's Bethlehemites. It's the same area, the same region, and it's Jesse now living there, and he has these sons, and, and it says that Jesse the Bethle, Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. This is God now choosing his king, and what God is doing now, not giving them Saul, who was the people's request for a king, but he's providing for himself this king, and one of the things that we've seen throughout the promise of God uh, from Genesis 49.10, when we have Abraham, then you have Isaac, and then you have Jacob, and Jacob is, is, is now uh, blessing all of his sons, and he's getting them together when it comes to Judah, and he says this blessing over Judah in Genesis 49.10, he says the scepter, let's think about that today, the scepter, a king's scepter, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So this is Jacob's blessing over Judah, and that Judah from this tribe will come a ruler uh, with, with a scepter, a kingly scepter, whom the people, he will gain the people's obedience. And then as this story is, is where we're at today with David, that story gets kind of lost because there's this promise of David's kingdom being established forever, and yet, you know, his son Solomon does build this temple, and it's kind of looking like there is some hope for that, but then there's all this just falling into sin. None of them ever achieve this scepter in which, you know, the nations come into the obedience of this king. And so it's lost. The, kings, uh, the kingdom is divided, and these kings get worse and worse and worse in sin. 
and then you have nothing. The kingdom, they're taken into captivity, and it's all destroyed and lost. And where's the king now? And all you have is the prophets. And the prophets continue to talk about this king that will come. And you're like, well, how can he come? There's not even a kingdom anymore. There's not even a king over a kingdom. But the prophets don't give up on this in the word. And Micah says this in Micah 5.2. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. You hear that again? That Ephrath won't, won't leave. It's just the name of the city that was changed from Ephrath to Bethlehem. Well, you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. All the way back there to Jacob, given that blessing over Judah from him. Ancient of days, it's been promised that this ruler will come from Bethlehem. He will come from the tribe of Judah. And so this is the area that this particular part, the tribe of Judah was big. It had land all over here. But this city, this location... It's where God is raising up a ruler in Judah to be ruler. And so when you get to the New Testament, it wants you to know this. In Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew 2, uh, 1 through 2, it says, After Jesus was born, where? In Bethlehem. In Bethlehem of Judea. That means Judah. But the, the Judah was right there in Bethlehem. But it was in the days of Herod the king. And wise men come from the east and come to Jerusalem saying where is he who is born king of the Jews this has finally been answered this king has arrived where is he where is he who's been born king of the Jews but they're asking another king and this Herod king is a lot like Saul the king he does not like this new king and so one of the things that we see as we kind of move into this next point not only will this king come from Judah but he'll come specifically from Bethlehem they the you know, when a king's coming anointing, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be an enemy that is fighting that does not like the arrival of the king. And so we'll see some parallels with David. You look at his life. Uh, in, our, in our text today, 1 Samuel 16, 2, Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears that he'll kill me? You hear that? If he finds out I'm going to anoint another king... In Bethlehem, from the house of Jesse, he'll kill me. That's the resistance of, of leaders, of kings wanting to hold on to their power. You know, they'll go, they'll go to these extremes. So just because the Lord is anointed and anointing and has new plans doesn't mean that everyone's going to go along with it, especially those that are existing in power. So King Saul... Uh, seeks to kill David to keep his powers. We read the story, and we've read in 1 Samuel, the whole story is really a lot about uh, Saul chasing down David and trying to kill him. <coughs> Excuse me. So 1 Samuel eighteen eleven, you hear this. Saul hurled a spear at David, and he thought, I'll pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. You read in the next chapter him throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. The anointing is on David, but the existing king doesn't like it. There's a warfare uh, going on. And then towards the end of Samuel, that we just read recently at the end of this week, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 27.1, David says in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. He's just tired of running from me. He says, he's going to get me one day. He's going to eventually kill me be successful and he says so there's nothing better for me than that i should escape to the land of the philistines then saul will despair of seeking me 
any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So he actually goes and lives with the Philistines. You know, David who killed uh, Goliath of Gath, he goes and lives with the king of Gath in with the Philistines uh, for like a year and a year and a half almost. You know, he's living there because of this persecution of, of Saul. Um, and we see the same thing with Jesus. We see King Herod, uh, you know, he was the religious leader of that day, and he seeks to kill Jesus right off the bat from the time he's born. In Matthew two sixteen. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, they were supposed to come back. He was trying to trick them, you know, but the Lord warned them and said, don't go back to Herod and don't tell him you found uh, baby, you know, Jesus, you know. Uh, so they leave another way, and when Herod, Herod hears that, he becomes furious, it says in Matthew 2.16, and he sent and killed all the male, chil- male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men when, when this king had been born. So he says, it's about this time, if we kill everybody, we'll kill this this new king. You see that, that warfare going on with David trying to kill him? the present king, and then you see it with Herod, the present king, trying to kill this, this new king. And it doesn't end there. I mean, all the leaders seek when Jesus comes out into his public ministry, it doesn't end. People are, you know, threatened with Jesus' influence and with his power and with his anointing. And it doesn't mean things are going to go easy for you, that there's not going to be a battle, that there's not going to be a war uh, fair. And we see that in these examples. And in Jesus' life, in John eight fifty nine, it says they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You hear this refrain a lot, how Jesus just escaped from their midst. A lot of theologians will study that, like, what did it mean? How did he do that? They were going to kill him, and he just walks through their midst, midst and just gets out of it somehow. You know, and they're, they're in a rage ready to kill him. In John 10, it 39 it happens it's like again they sought to arrest him but he escaped from their hands and just over and over again you see this warfare going on between and over the king but eventually it comes down to where in God's timing Jesus is delivered over he's betrayed by Judas and he's delivered over uh, to be uh, crucified in Luke 23 uh, we, we read Jesus before Pilate in verses 18 through 25. They all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and that had started in the city and for murder. So they're crying out for an insurrection, a person leading an insurrection and for killing, for murder over Jesus who is in, innocent, this man. So uh, this is the continued uh, pursuit of, of this death of the anointed king of God, his very own son, Jesus. You hear this crying out. Pilate doesn't even want to do it. He addresses them over and over again, desiring to release Jesus, it says in Luke. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time, Pilate tries to let him go. He comes out and says, what evil has he done? I found no guilt deserving of death in this man. I'll punish him and release him. So he beats him and has him flogged, and and he thinks that'll be enough, and it's not enough. It's not enough for these voices. They still cry out, crucify him, and Pilate decides to meet their demands 
um, and he releases the man Barabbas who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder whom they asked for and he delivers Jesus over to their will to be crucified. As we look at this story, a lot of times we might not think that that's us, but what we sing today and how deep the Father's love for us, it said, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Scoffers, you know, going by, wagging their heads. If you're the Son of God, come down. You know, you're no king. And yet the sign nailed above his head was king of the Jews. And I think this reveals something about our own hearts. We read that for Jesus to accomplish the work that he accomplished and for David as we look at his life and what they accomplished, uh, that they both won some big battles right off the bat. I mean, David, just as a young boy, you know, goes out and fights Goliath, and his brothers are around going, go back and run your father's errand and keep those sheep. We're here fighting the battle. He's just bringing them lunch and going back and forth from Jesse, taking his brothers to come reporting back with Jesse about how the battle's going, and the battle's going bad because they're scared and trembling, and no one will step forward and fight this giant Goliath who is mocking the armies of Israel and coming out with great fear and trembling and and they don't want to be confronted with that but David confronts him and he says you know who is this uh, you know uncircumcised Philistine he's not a part of the the people of God you know and he's standing up for God's name not necessarily his own but that offends his brothers around in this story Uh, but David defeats Goliath he goes to him in the name of the Lord, not in his own name. And he defeats and brings that giant down. He doesn't even have a sword. He knocks him down with a sling and a rock and goes out and takes Goliath's own sword out, severs his head and lifts it up. And the the fear of, of his brothers and of all of Israel no longer have fear. And they storm and they plunder the enemy. And David continues to lead lead battles after this where they 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 plunder uh, the, the enemies of God and of God's people. And Jesus does the same thing. He comes on the scene, and as he heals this blind and mute man who was brought to him in Matthew 12, and it's powerful, and all these powerful signs are coming. The king is here. The king of the kingdom is here. And everywhere he goes, demons flee, and, and, and healing takes place. And the kingdom is this beautiful place, and he's given them a glimpse of what his presence will be like. And it's powerful, but what do the Pharisees say? They confront him in Matthew 12, 22 through 29, and they say, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. He's not bringing the kingdom. He's just bringing a kingdom of the devil. He's just casting it out by a, a greater power of a greater devil. But Jesus confronts them, and he says, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. He's saying he's of another kingdom. He's a king of a of the kingdom of God. And in in verse 29 of Matthew 12, he says, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And this is what Jesus was doing. He had gone into the wilderness. He had 
overcome Satan's temptations. He was confronting in a spiritual kingdom, defeating the devil, and now he was going in and plundering his kingdom. In a physical sense, what David was doing when he defeated Goliath, Jesus did when he defeated the Satan and, and all of his temptations that he would throw at him. Jesus was in perfect obedience to his father, and he was the, the second man, the last man, the last Adam made, uh, cre- created, you know, not, not made or created, but born of a virgin and supernaturally come, and he wasn't tied to this sin, but he was facing temptation and overcoming it in every way. And he's plundering the enemy now. And we are encouraged by that. You know, the disciples and the followers get encouraged. The, the people that are following David are encouraged. They're like, man, God is with this man. The anointing is with him. We can do anything with him. They're motivated. Even his own brothers, you know, storm, you know, the Philistines after David wins that victory. In Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, it says this. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We're talking about seeing things as the Lord sees them, not as man sees from the outward appearance. Following this David doesn't look like a leader king. Following this Jesus, who there's no form or stately majesty in an outward way that it looks like uh, upon him, but yet... A band of brothers following him, band of women, you know, disciples, you know, following him. This crowd following him saying, this man he has, they see as the Lord sees, they see the power. And Ephesians says this, it's saying that you can be strengthened in the spirit in your inner being. It's not an outward thing of how you look, but it's of your heart. Are you strengthened in your inner being, in your heart? Ephesians 3, 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is where the power lies. It's not in an outward appearance thing. It's in your inner being. It's in a faith in Jesus that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When he dwells there in your heart through faith, richly there, when you're rooted and grounded in love, when you comprehend the depths and the wits, you know, on that that glimpse on the level that you can through your faith in Christ and he dwells within you, there's a strength in your inner being that can overcome any outward circumstance that you're facing. This is what God wants us for today. This is what the king has brought to us. This is that motivation that, that he brings that comes from within and not from without. And there lies the authority of the believer. It's not in necessarily a divine health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but it's, it's, a, it's a dwelling in your inner being. It's like in your inner being there is a, a bulldog of faith that is just clinging to Jesus, you know, that's just he's, he's holding on to you and you're holding on to him and you're in love with him and you want to discover more of his love. It's a deep relational trust, not in your own power, like we sang about, not yet not I, but Christ 
through me. We sang that. It's not a, a confidence in ourself, in our own authority, but it's in the it's seeing Jesus by faith and seeing his authority, seeing who he is. That's what the gospel is. It's an announcement of who he is, not necessarily who we are. You know, it's it's seeing his defeat. So in our story, we're not so much like uh David, you know, go out and slay your, 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 your giants. But we're more like the trembling brothers who are scared and cowering in fear. But when we see our king, when we see him, when we see the gospel, when we see what God has done for us in Jesus, and we see that he slayed the Goliath in our life, the Goliath of sin in our life, and he's overcome it through the cross and his resurrection, and he slays that head of our Goliath. It's not us. It's seeing him and what he has done for us, and we run to plunder the enemy of Jesus, and we run to storm the gates of hell, not in confidence of ourselves, not in the necessarily authority of the believer, but in the faith in Jesus and loving him. We see Peter kind of gets off track with this. He's an example of that, one of the disciples. He wants to confess that he knows that he will not betray Jesus and that he will follow him. And though others turn away, I will never fall away, he says in Matthew 26. And don't just blame him. At the end of that, it says the rest of the disciples said the same thing. You know, we will not fall away. Well, they had that positive confession, didn't they? They had that, well, we won't fall away. We'll follow you no matter what, Jesus. But the thing is, is that wasn't their authority to say. Their authority was in their selves. You know, it was not in faith and seeing Jesus and what he was about to do. And they didn't really have much of a clue as to what they were saying. When it came down to the heat of the battle, they faltered and petered. And, you know, Jesus says, no, you're not. You know, he says, you're going to, before this day's even over, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter does. You know, our authority is in a humility that trusts in Christ, not in a pride in what we think we can accomplish in ourselves. It's the gospel that strips us of our pride and what we think we can do and humbly saying, I need you, Jesus, to even do anything that I do, to take my next breath, to live. And so not only is this a different kind of king, it's a different kind of kingdom all the way around. But God is establishing this kingdom in Jesus. But we see that he was mocked as a king. In John 19, 1 through 3, it says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they arrayed him with a purple robe, and they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. So Jesus was mocked as this king, but yet he was truly God's king, and we celebrate him as king today. And we shout along with this uh, text that I added, Blessed is the king, Jesus. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So blessed is Jesus who comes humble and lowly on this donkey. Blessed is his name. And we, with our hearts, are his loyal, humble subjects. And we can do nothing without him. God has established Jesus 
He has established him on his throne. And there's this time that we announced in the announcement, this time of amnesty. He rode in on that donkey on that Palm Sunday, and he's offering himself as king. And he is saying today, after that, he, he wept over Jerusalem, and he said that they had missed their day of visitation. But we do not have to miss it today. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this King Jesus is still humble, still humbly offering himself like he did on that day on that donkey riding into Jerusalem. He's still offering himself for your surrender to come to your king and admit that he's king. In 2 Corinthians 6.2 it says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we see that now is offered. Jesus is still offering his salvation to anyone who will come. Come to Jesus. You say, well, I I have come to Jesus. And what's offered to us now in this king? In John 9, 4, Jesus said, We must work the works of him who sent while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So for us as believers, we still have an opportunity to do the work. And I know I've, I've shared some, some tragic stories today of death where people went to sleep and they thought that they had more time, but they didn't wake up. And, and our lives are fragile that way, and they're, they're short-lived compared to eternity. And night is coming when no one can work. So we as believers, you know, Jesus is encouraging us as king, that now is the time to work, that now is the time to fulfill all that God has, has called us to. We are not guaranteed more and more days in this life. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave to which you are going. So we're all going to the grave where all is appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment. But what this scripture is encouraging us to do is to work now while there is time. And Jesus was saying, I must work while there is time. And Jesus worked while there was time. He knew night was coming when his, his time w- would be over here on this earth when he could no longer work. And now is the time for us to come to this Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. And he offers salvation to those who don't know him. And he offers to be your king and to lead you in the ministry of the work that God has for you until that last day of your last breath. Today is a day to repent and believe in the gospel. Today is a day to submit to Jesus our king and to anticipate the coming of his return when he comes riding on a white horse, faithful and true, this king we have up until our death or his return, and both are imminent. Let's work, saints. Amen. For the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. As we celebrate this final song together and singing and celebrating our king who has come, we want to remember Jesus through communion. If you want to grab one in the little seats in front of you, 
We'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. I love the way Jesus was so confident in the Father and his plan that in the night that Judas betrayed him and, and got up to go execute his plan, he knew it was the time to surrender, to surrender to that plan. He didn't fight about it. He just took the Passover feast and he enacted the Lord's Supper with his disciples who would all be scattered and Peter betray him and it would look like a defeat. And yet here's the church today. Amen. Still existing all over the world. You know, millions and millions and hundreds of millions of faithful and true worshiping all over the world today. And Jesus could see it. He could see what he was dying for. He could see what he was doing. He was defeating your Goliath. He was coming up against Goliath. And he said, I'll, I'll cut his head off and I'll lead you in battle. I know that sounds violent, but he will defeat your enemy for you. And Jesus knew what he was doing would obliterate the power of the enemy. And he took that bread in the night that he was betrayed. Judas out scheming his plans. And he took that bread, you know, he did. He gave thanks to the Father for it. You're, you're sovereign king. You're sovereign. Your plan will rule and reign, and I'll rule and reign with you. He lifts up and he gives thanks for this bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. Take and do this in remembrance of me. We do it today. Amen. Let's take together. It was a spiritual kingdom, spiritual power, but it was real blood that flowed from Jesus. And he lifted up the cup. And he said, this is the blood, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Do this and partake of it and do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of this fruit of the vine. Thank you, Father. Help us and help our hearts, knowing our hearts to celebrate our King. Our lives here are temporary, and we're stewards only of everything that we have. You own everything. Everything is yours. Our homes, houses, kids, children, grandchildren, all of it is yours because you're King. And you reign supreme. And we're but stewards of all the good gifts you've given us. Help us to steward them well in submission to you as our king. And help us go out and accomplish the work that you've given us for all we have breath on this earth, Father. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to sing and worship you now and give you the praise and honor and glory. Uh, do your name in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is our King Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him.